Greetings again this morning in the Master's name. I'd like uh, for you to um, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. This morning, uh, be turning to quite a number of scriptures, so maybe you can follow me along. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 3. The uh, title of the message this morning, I'm going to call it um, uh, Draw Near. I uh, often forget to give a title, and then the people who are recording uh, have to ask me what it is. So uh, I'll just say it up front here, draw near. Still from Hebrews, we're still looking at Hebrews, but I want to look at some other passages first. Here in Habakkuk chapter 1, in verse 13, speaking of God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that's basically all I want from that verse. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Now let's turn to Job. Job chapter 15. Job 15 verses 14 to 16. Job 15, verse 14. What is man that he should be clean? Uh, questions. You know, there's lots and lots of questions in the book of Job. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, this is speaking of God here. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man who drinketh iniquity like water? Now let's go to chapter 25 in Job. And the last three verses of the chapter, Job 25, verse 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm, and the son of man which is a worm. Now Psalm 14. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. Psalm 14, 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy, and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 10. Just looking to see here what uh, my cross-reference is because this is quoting some from Psalm. But anyway, uh, Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, the last three verses. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In verse 18, it says a strong consolation. Uh, the word strong there usually translates strong or mighty. And consolation, uh, that word means encouragement. Uh, so we might have a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge and so on. Now my question is, what is the connection between the verses I read there in the Old Testament, Habakkuk, Job, Psalm, and Romans, then, what's the connection between those verses and this passage here? What would you say? Pardon? Okay. Any other thoughts? Okay, so in spite of what we read about man's condition, we have hope, like Joe said. What is that hope? Pardon? Okay. And on what basis can we have pleasurable anticipation? Yes. I mean, that's what this book is about. Jesus Christ. It's a better way. That's our hope. And to realize what it's like. I mean, the condition that man is in without Jesus Christ. And what he's done for us. It's, it's just out of this world. So in verse 18, we have the word hope. Verse 19, we have the word hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. 17, or 7, let's see, which is it? Set. Colossians 1, verse 27. I'll get it yet. Colossians 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, 1 Timothy. First verse, the first verse in 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And then, okay, the book of Hebrews. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, 
and I should be able to say all that, but let me just make sure I'm on target. Um, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Two references there, both in verse 1 and 2 to the creation, or 2 and 3. And upholding all things by the word of his power when he had, now notice, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high, by himself purged our sins, set down. It's done by himself, purged our sins, and he set down. That work is done. His, in other words, his, uh, his, 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 that, that, that sacrifice for sin, he only had to do it once, and, that, and we'll see that more as we go through Hebrews, the word once. He, he did it, and it's done. Okay, now, that work is done, but Christ's work is not done. What, what is not done? What's he doing now? Yeah, yeah, he's interceding. That's what it says in Hebrews. He's interceding for us. That's a, that's a priest's work. He's interceding for us. And we, I was thinking about that. Uh, we intercede for ourselves. We intercede for others. Others intercede for us. But all that would be vain. It would be empty, worthless, meaningless if Jesus wasn't interceding for us. And that made me think. I'll tell you, all that made me think about a song. Words came to my mind. I was looking over my notes this morning. I thought I was done, good and done. In fact, uh, yesterday, Anna Mary wanted to know about uh, going to hear the chorus last evening. And I said, well, we'll see. I'll get along with my sermon. And I got along, I thought I got along good. So we went, and then this morning I was looking over things and having more thoughts. And some of these thoughts, you know, like I was just sharing with you, came to my mind. And about the work of Christ and, you know, how meaningful it is and all that. And this, this song came to my mind uh, here. In, it's uh, 511 in, in the book. You don't have to turn to it. But my life, it's, it's my life, my love, I give to thee, the Lamb of God who died for me. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. I mean, you think about the work of Christ. You think about what Christ did. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. Purged our sins. And now he's interceding for us. I mean, this God, this God that we read about in the Old Testament, he's a pure eyes and a behold evil. Uh, he, we cannot imagine the purity and the holiness of God. We just can't imagine that. And we cannot imagine how sinful man is in ourselves. And there, there's, just, there's just this tremendous disconnect, this tremendous gulf. And yet, in Christ Jesus, we're brought together. We're brought together with God. And all that he's done for us. And so what else? How else could we respond? My life, my love, I give to thee. That's, 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 that's the only reasonable way to respond to something like that. Knowing Jesus to be our high priest. On that basis, we have hope. We have other hopes. We have the hope of forgiveness, the hope of peace. 
the hope of a new body, the hope of eternal life, that's what Jason mentioned. And then in these verses, okay, it says here, back in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, it says about him being a refuge for us in verse 18. Okay, who have fled for refuge in, the, in our Sunday school lesson, we're talking just a little bit about culture, understanding uh, culture, the cultural setting. Uh, and of course, we read the Old Testament, so we understand some of that too. But they knew what that's talking about, who have fled for refuge to lay the city of refuge. As long as you stayed in the city of refuge, you were safe. You got outside, pretty risky. And so he's our refuge, a city of refuge. And then it says in verse 19, he's our anchor. And we, we've talked about that before. But the anchor, you know, it, it's, 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 it's uh, stuck there in the seabed or so on the ship so the ship can't just drift around and, and crash and get beat to pieces on the rocks and so on, disintegrated. He's our anchor so that we don't, we can stay steady in the storm. And then... It says he's our forerunner. And we looked at that in one of the messages. Uh, you know that it says he's gone before. He's the forerunner. The forerunner is for us entered even Jesus. And then the verse, just the phrase before that says, which is entered into that within the veil. All that limited access that they had to God in the Old Testament. You know, we looked at all those steps and then just one person goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. And now any of us can go anytime, 24-7, right into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And it says here, it says that anchor both sure and steadfast. So it's sure because it's, God, it's based on God's unchanging promises. It's steadfast. It's dependable. We can base our lives on it. It's within the veil, a new and living way. Uh, and, and that thing about him being our forerunner who's gone before us, he has gone before us. And what did he say? He said, I go to prepare a place. He's gone. He's gone before us. Okay, now, chapter 7, verses 15 to 28. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. By the way, I get down to these verses, I'm going to ask you another question, but anyway, I won't tell you what it is. Um, it is far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the, com the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw an eye unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, there are the priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Okay, now my question is this, and there's no specific answer to it. But as I, as, as I read these verses, what words stood out to you? Just, what, what, yeah. What impressed you? What word or words stood out to you? Okay, so what words stood out to you? That's a lot of words. Okay. Okay. Okay, some of the rest of you. What words stood out? Or words? Without an Pardon? Without Okay, and how, how come that stood out to you? Okay, okay. That's why I said there's no right answer, you see. Um, but, but you see, as we read the Scripture, as we read the Scripture, we ought to be interacting with it. You know, we should be absorbing. We should be thinking. And, and so I, there's all kinds of, of things in here. I, I uh, it was some time back when I was, I was looking at it and well, one of the things that has, over the years, that has stood out to me in this passage is verse 16, the power of an endless life. There's so much wrapped up in that, the power of an endless life. But then in verse 19, you've got the words, you got the words perfect, better. You got the word better pretty often in Hebrews. Better, and then, of course, there, that's the, where the title kind of comes from in verse 19, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So there's another word, nigh. See, there's so much wrapped up in that word. And then uh, verse uh, 24, the idea continueth ever. Well, anyway, it's just, uh, and then we have we have that uh, idea in some other verses too, but continues ever. Yeah, 25 says ever liveth. Uh, 26, we have holy, harmless, undefiled, and so on. 27, we got that word once and himself and then consecrated forevermore again. So uh, that's just part of what what I mean when I say, you know, things that stand out as you read, uh, you know, what, what, what words. When you're reading the scripture, think about that. This passage introduces a series of reasons that the priesthood of God can make us right in God's sight. In verse 16, his priesthood was not established 
by an imperfect law. Now it says here, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment. The word carnal to us kind of has a negative connotation. We talk about carnality. Here it just means carnal. Actually, I don't know. I don't remember very much Spanish. I had Spanish in school, but it wasn't my thing, a foreign language. But cadene, cadene is the Spanish word for meat. just means flesh. And so it's of the flesh. Uh, so the, the Old Testament priesthood was of the flesh it was it was hereditary uh it went down down Aaron's line um and so it passed through the family of Levi so that's what it's referring to and then in verse 17 and this is um uh kind of what uh maybe relates a little bit to what Sarah said but uh, it says, how come it keeps saying it's after the order of Melchizedek? Why does he make such a point out of that? It seems to kind of beat that to death. You have it over and over, that reference uh, here. And, and in fact, okay, so we, we had talked about that in an earlier message, but you just got a couple verses in Genesis, one in Psalm. That's all it says about Melchizedek. And all of a sudden you get here to Hebrews and, you know, it's over and over about Melchizedek. Well, uh, it's it, Jesus' priesthood is permanent. It's not temporary. And all the priests in Aaron's line died, not because they were wicked or anything, it's because they were human. Jesus is the Son of God. And then in verse 18, it talks about the disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the profitableness thereof. And I think there's going to be more of that, chapters 8 and 9 and maybe 10. Uh, the word disannulling means setting aside or putting away. In fact, let's um, let's turn to Romans chapter three. And we, I, I think these are familiar verses. Or no, actually, I'm sorry. Romans eight verse three is what I want. Romans eight verse three. And this is this is exactly the same thing that that. Um, Hebrews uh, 6, 18 is talking about, and 19 too. Okay, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And by the way, I'll just stop right there and, and mention again. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy them. He might, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all a lifetime subject to bondage. But it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So, for what it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You just see how the scripture is, it, it, it is so tied together. Um, and this is talking about exactly the same thing as what Hebrews 2 is talking about that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Uh, so. Walking after the Spirit, um, and that's some of the superiority of the New Covenant. 
that we have, we walk after the spirit where we have a changed heart. We have a changed spirit. Uh, we have a new creature. And, and again, I think some of these next couple chapters will bring some of that out more, more also. So, uh, the power of an endless life. The law could not bring deliverance over sin and the power of sin. The law had its place. It showed, kind of showed who God was, the righteousness of God, and what's required, and also that man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it by the law. So it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Okay, verse 22 by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. A better testament. That's the New Testament, the New Covenant. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And the New Testament is our better testament. Um, was made a surety. Jesus made a surety of the better testament. A, the surety, we could say security, or a guarantor, a guarantee. A guarantor is a person who, um, well, I don't know, this is maybe not quite right, but uh, when you sign for something, you guarantee it, you know, for somebody else. Uh, Jesus is a guarantee of, of that what God has promised, what he's put in place and everything. It's going to happen, what he's done for us now and also for the future. As far as our, the, the New Testament, the, a testament is a covenant. It is, it, it, uh, the, the covenant, the old covenant, the new covenant, a covenant, uh, God's covenant with man is, is defining the relationship between God and man and how that works. Uh, verse 23, um, many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death, um, I'm just moving on here, uh, and the new King James says, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. The uh, word suffer there means uh, uh, prevent. So they, uh, they, they were not able to continue by reason of death in their work. But see, Jesus is forevermore. For, and, and that comes through here in Hebrews. It's one. He did it once, and, it's, and he keeps on forever. He doesn't die. He, it's just the contrast, the contrast to the Jews, the Hebrews, probably meant more to them than it does to us. Because they were so used to that old system. Okay, then verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able. So the word wherefore there is saying, Because of all that has been said, because of all that has been said up to this point, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. The uh, I have an old quarterly that's uh, Hebrews, Book of Better Things. It's June, July, August 2015. But it's on the book of Hebrews, and uh, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, but uh, let's see, there was something here. Yeah, I wanted to read this. To the uttermost means there is no limit to Christ's saving power. No matter the depth or breadth of our sins, no matter how long or short our lives, no matter how great or hateful our adversary, Jesus is able to save us if we come to God through him. This is true not only of us, but of all those that come to God by him. 
Were the earth to stand another thousand years, he could save even the millions of people to come. Jesus' power to give life is never ending. Saved to the uttermost. There is no limit to Christ's saving power. Regardless of the extent of our past, there's no limit to how many. And it's clear through to the end. It's entire and complete. By the way, 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's turn to that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Scripture, and we've said this before, but Scripture is its own best commentary. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body, that's to the uttermost, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful to the uttermost. See, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So we have that, we can have that confidence, that assurance. But there is a limitation. We say to the uttermost, that seems like the holds barred. There's one limitation. What is it? Verse 25. Anybody see it? Verse 25. Yeah. Yeah, the, the key word there is come. That come unto God by him. That come, come. Does that make you think of any verses? Yeah, that's it. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You have to come. You have to come. That's the only limitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Yeah. Well, the high priest in the Old Testament, the high priest stood between God and man. People came to him to learn the will of God. Now, now we come directly into the presence of God through the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. And saved to the uttermost. See, that's tied also to that. Let's see, where is that phrase? Yeah. He ever liveth to make intercession. All that's tied together. Saved to the uttermost. Ever liveth. See, continuous intercession. Well, in verse 26, it says, For such a high priest became us, or it was fitting for us, or it was needed for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Holy. I mean, pure and set apart. Harmless means without deception. Undefiled means unsoiled or pure, separate from sinners, not sharing in their sin. The uh, RSV for that verse was, for it was fitting 
that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And then 27 and 28, again, some of the things we've been talking about. He didn't need, he, he didn't need daily, every day in the Old Testament. They went into the Holy of Holies once a year, but every day they had to offer a sacrifice. They had to offer a sacrifice. Every day had to offer sacrifices for sin, for the sins of the people, for the sins of the nation. But not Jesus. Because the high priest in the Old Testament, first of all, he offered for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus, he didn't have to sacrifice for himself. He offered himself for us. The Old Testament high priest had weaknesses, but not Christ. He's perfect. And uh, again, here in this book, because of this, because of who he was. He did not need to offer up sacrifices for his own sins as other priests needed to do. Commentator Adam Clark notes that the sacrifice ordered by, offered by Christ differed in at least four respects from those offered by earthly priests. Christ offered no sacrifice for himself, but only for the people. He did not offer his sacrifice every year, but once for all people. The sacrifice Christ offered was not animal sacrifices, but himself. He sacrificed himself for the whole human race. He tasted death for every man and not for one nation. Only because Christ was a perfect sacrifice for sin can we be perfect in God's sight. Only because he lives eternally can we live eternally with God. And so, thinking about all that and what that makes possible for us, I go back to the end of chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And verse 16 is hard to imagine when you think about who we are as we read there in the Old Testament and who God is, a pure eyes and behold evil. But it's because of Jesus Christ that we have verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need.